Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. Big thanks to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store, to our enduring sponsors, CabinetParts.com and Blackfoot Communications, and to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula. Thanks for joining me as I take you behind the scenes at Tell Us Something to meet the storytellers behind the stories. Each week, I sit down with the Tell Us Something Storyteller alumni, and we chat about what they've been up to lately, about their experiences, sharing their story, and reflect a little bit on their story. Sometimes we get additional details, and always, we get to know the storyteller better. I'm excited to announce the next live Tell Us Something show on September 16th. Seven storytellers will share their stories. The theme is Come As You Are. This will be a live-streamed event. Get your tickets now at tellussomething.org slash shop. We'd love your support of the Tell Us Something podcast. The best way that you can support us is to rate and review us on iTunes. It's how we can spread people's stories to more listeners. Also, when you see people asking for podcast recommendations, recommend Tell Us Something. If you just tell two people to subscribe, it would really help. Thank you so much. Also, if you have the means, please donate to the podcast. We are depending on donations and support right now to keep us afloat. There are a few ways to donate. You can visit tellussomething.org and click support to make a tax-deductible donation, or you can donate via Venmo at tellussomething. You can also donate via PayPal, info at tellussomething.org. Thank you. If you want to get some cool Tell Us Something merch, visit tellussomething.org slash shop. You can also get tickets there for the next live streaming event. You can pick up a 10-year anniversary commemorative poster, a 16-ounce stainless steel double wall pint cup, or a made-in-the-USA canvas market tote bag. Check out all this cool stuff at tellussomething.org slash shop. Today, we're joined by Joseph Grady. Good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the invite. I Absolutely. Appreciate it. I appreciate you saying yes to it. Yeah. Are you an artist? No. I mean, I've made I've made visual art before. This is Joseph and I broke the ice by talking about some of the art hanging on the shed off my back deck as we settled in and got comfortable. We began talking about his story and about his experience sharing it, and our conversation went in a direction that I didn't expect. So much of what Joseph shared with me that afternoon requires context, a context that he provides for us as listeners, and context that requires us to listen to actively listen to what he is saying. Honoring his words, passing the mic to him, also requires that I keep his words intact. And so, to give Joseph the space that he deserves, to give him the room to share his truths, I am splitting our conversation into two episodes. Today, we'll focus mainly on taking an active role in one's community, exploring questions of social justice and the health of our communities. Next week, we'll rewind to the beginning of the afternoon Joseph and I shared together. We'll spend time listening to Joseph share more in-depth about his story and then listen to the story that he shared on the Tell Us Something stage. Today, though, I'm dedicating the entire episode to what Joseph shared with me about showing up, about healthy communities, and about being present. Be part of community. Try and be part of something. Contribute. Try not to detract. Try not to take away. Um, for my own self, and my I think my own view was to try and see my participation participation in community as not burdenous, um, as a contributor, 
along the way. And so that, for whatever reason, has just been allowed to happen. That's something that I'm struggling with, too. Because I want Tell Us Something to feel safe and inviting for everyone in the community, not just the white people. Right. And as a white male, for me to say, hey, everybody's welcome to tell a story, which I've said since the beginning, um, I haven't had very many people of color tell stories, right? We've had like 300 storytellers, and I bet you less than 100 were people of color. And so that's the struggle I'm having, is how do I make this space feel safe? Right. So that they're not feeling like I'm trying to exploit them, or that they're a token. Right. That's a, that's a good thing to reflect on, I think. And I think that's a healthy concern. Especially, I, one thing I've been noticing a lot lately, especially with social justice movements and, um, you know, the factions and divisions that tend to spur up in these social awareness type uh, movements and efforts. People can become very divisive and want ownership over certain aspects of it where they're not willing to make space or allow space for other people to be participants in the solution. Um, and I know for me and what I see actually from entities like Tell Us Something is that they really are part of that solution. Um, you know, as I was listening to you um, kind of reflect on this, your numbers, maybe a hundred out of three hundred, right? That's a third. That's, I, that's also a, a big guess, right? And but at the same time, and I, I'm not look. I'm not saying that you should, you know, run inside and pat yourself on the back and and you know be self congratulatory. I did go back and look at all the storyteller alumni, and I was right that in the over three hundred stories shared, we've had less than one hundred BIPOC storytellers. The actual number of BIPOC storytellers is 20 over the course of 10 years. And I'm continually learning and trying to be more inclusive, not just welcoming, of all voices. I remember when, you know, the Black Panther film came out, it was, it was finally a, a moment for, for black people in our community and other BIPOC identities. In the community, we're like, "Hey, a movie for us? How about that? The jokes are for us. The the you know a lot of the the hero even uh, concept is for us, and we get to be the hero, and we get to sort of stand up front. And um, that was, I think, a, a small drop in a huge sea of what has to this point been not servicing." BIPOC voices and so forth. Um, so there, there is something to be recognized there. The other part is not to do with you at all. It's, is the community safe? Is it safe to go out and go to the theater 
Right now it isn't. Yeah, right. You've, we've got this 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 uh, virus and so forth. But in terms of like the virus that existed before, that was racism. And I think we're a lot more. I mean, a lot of bad stuff has to happen sometimes for people to wake up and open their eyes. And, you know, there have been young people downtown who have been holding signs and raising awareness. There have been actions in other cities. It's been global to this point, the, the BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, which is critical moving forward, right? Um, and there are people in our own community who are stepping forward and saying it hasn't been safe. And there are a lot of people who, when they consider and weigh the option of going downtown to see a movie or a show or to, to go get dinner, at a restaurant part of that calculation is how much am i going to be able to endure tonight and that comes from the walk the drive to the interactions with people on the way the looks you get when you arrive the questions you get from people who are there who are maybe trying their best but making it a little awkward right or maybe even offensive and make it feel like an unsafe space um, so that's part of it as well. I think that that's that you've got a lot that is already sort of groundwork laid out ahead that is contributing to, I think, some folks being hesitant about their participation in events. Because part of the thing is just showing up and the struggle and the challenge is when folks like myself get into a space, a lot of what that consists of is, OK, here's the rules. And then we have to explain. And then we have to explain why. And then we, have, we spend half of the night informing people around us how we like to be engaged and what's appropriate and what the rules are and so forth. And folks are asking us, well, you know, how do I say this so it's not offensive? And it becomes literally, instead of a night out and a, an, an ability to go out and do something, it turns into work. It turns into social justice work for the individual who maybe even doesn't want to even be doing that, right? And so we find ourselves in spaces doing that extra work. And so that's, I think, an example of kind of the kind of thing where you have local community people trying to go out and go to the city, go out and see a movie or see a show or go to tell us something. And without you even being part of the program yet, it's the getting to and the coming from and the interactions, engagements to the side of that that become part of that decision-making process. And it's a large calculus. And you're standing there thinking, well, what am I going to have to deal with tonight? Or do I Netflix and chill? And sometimes, and I've been saying this since the COVID-19 thing happened, that BIPOC, for, especially in a community like this, Social distancing, we've been doing that since way back. And part of that is, is because we're met with that disease of racism and judgment and bias and these types of things in, in the community where this, for us, safety and continuity and membership is oftentimes at home on the computer speaking with other BIPOC people on social media saying, do you deal with this? Is this part of your life? How's your day going? Guess what I ran into today? I was at this store and this happened. Uh, I was in this setting and something horrible happened to me. We're, we're trying to navigate it, problem solve, 
point out that this isn't even our problem to solve and still try and get value out of life. And that's the that's a part of the burden of of race and racism. Even when it's just the conversational stuff, it's not like the nooses from the trees or Confederate flags or this kind of thing. I think we tend to get to thinking that that's what racism is. But really what it is is it's supporting the systems that continue to minimize, oppress, objectify, sometimes even characterize certain identities based on skin color and to disempower or to empower. I've applauded what you've managed to accomplish with Tell Us Something because I have heard our voices on here. Um, And I would just say keep it up. Well, thanks for saying that. I'm not going to get a big head, but I feel like I'm not doing enough. I think it's easy to feel that way these days. And I, I think I feel the same way. And I mean, in, in, in many contexts that I could be doing more, or should be doing more or and oftentimes not looking back and saying, man, you've done you've done quite a lot and you've put in a lot of time and you've got some trauma built up from that, too. And you need to take a breath and sometimes need to take a minute for yourself. And, um, uh, you know, the there are few two efforts in town uh, or in the community where BIPOC voices in that presence is quite a bit less than a third of, about a third of the participation, um, which is why I say it's, it's a step in the right direction and a progress of a kind, if you will. Um, but like you say, and I think kind of where your question is going is, yeah, there are things that, that can happen in terms of how we invite and, and the kind of meetings we hold. And, um, are, you know, are we going to have like a themed month where it's only for that space or themed series along the way where, you know, part of maybe even part of a year of your participation, there are no white stories. I mean, that would be pretty radical, don't you think? Yeah. Um, and it's not like there's a shortage of stories out there, but how do we get those people into the spaces where we feel valued and we feel safe um, and we feel like um, our participation is going to be received in a way that uh, the community is saying, hey, yeah, we want that. Um, and I think there's work being done you know, from a government, city government perspective, and that's far from perfect because it's all white people, right? Um, I, I had a conversation with one of our journalists in town. And we were talking about the Black Lives Matter event, and we were sitting there having this really wonderful conversation, and, and it just was like, well, how many, how many black journalists do you have at your enterprise? Well, none. Okay. Well, that's something to look at. Um, Or what are we doing to get people into those spaces and encourage that kind of participation? What are we building into our community that says these these other cultural experiences, perspectives are necessary here? Um, And, you know, doing that in a way, and I think to get back to the tokenizing thing, is a way of just remembering how we celebrate each other as, as people and um, one of the things that I like about Tell Us Something is that folks are asked to listen. Um, and we don't do enough of that. I mean, there really isn't enough of that. There's plenty of people waiting for their turn to talk. There's plenty of experts on race who've never confronted it. 
there's plenty of people who have lots of opinions about it, um, but there hasn't been enough time dedicated to listening to the people who live it and experience it and then take it at its value and and not run with a narrative of, oh, you're just angry or, oh, you're, you know, everyone hurts. Everyone has a bad day. Everyone deals with some aspect of judgment or bias in the community. And when you speak with leaders in the BIPOC community who have been doing this for decades and generations, what you find is like, no, it's not the same. And it's, it's so radically different um, that you don't see it. And I have to talk about it all the time. In and of itself is privilege. Absolutely, 100%. And so trying to find, I think, a way to, um, I think, create space that is healthy I like to look at, a, I'm a social worker, so I like to look at community in terms of, of health or unhealthy. I don't like to look at a place or a people or anyone as being good or bad. Whether you're toting a flag or whatever, these are learned behaviors. These are socialized behaviors. And is, are those behaviors healthy or are they destructive? Are they self-destructive? For me, alcoholism is is my self-destruction it's the thing that for me is very unhealthy and it's the evidence of the unhealthiness and so when i look at a community like ours like missoula i'm like where are we struggling with our disease if you will in this case racism um and where are we admitting we have a problem where are we admitting that we don't know where are we going to seek help for the health crisis that we're confronting. And some might even say it is a mental health crisis on many levels. Um, but what's happening right now, particularly with the BLM movement, and even some of the schisms that are coming out of there, what we're seeing is the hurt from a lot of our community members and people saying that they're not safe. Um, and we've been saying it for a long time. And so trying to uh, I think utilize that momentum um, to to tap into something that's going to move us toward health. I think that's that's where our concentration needs to be. It's a lot to take in. Absolutely, yeah. And like you say, the behaviors, the healthiness versus the unhealthiness, have been learned and ingrained for, for sure for decades. And so, it, you know, I hear people say white urgency is violence. And, but it does feel urgent. Yeah. At the same point, we have to acknowledge that it's, we've learned this, we've grown up learning this, right. and it's going to take a long time to unlearn it, but we have to actively be unlearning it. For sure. And yeah. I have a, a network of, BIPOC friends across the country who have said we'll help you after you've done your homework like you can ask us direct questions but don't expect us to hold your hand right yeah I'm not your classroom I think is yeah. a lot of what a lot of people are saying is like right um, you, you got to get in and do the reading you got to search this stuff out you got to you got to see where where uh, some of the difficulty is and um, I mean, part of that is, you know, decolonizing our syllabi, 
you know, in, in some of our personal reading and some of the reading that we're getting in the classroom. Um, it, would, it would be refreshing in a course of Native American studies to be reading more Native American written work uh, in the course of that. Um, not always available, right? But we need to work toward that. We need to start figuring out how to make that possible um, and have it be a, a, a group effort um, and funded efforts. Uh, one of the things I think that we get as BIPOC locally, and I see this happen with my colleagues and others who are desperate to, to get in and, and do some of this work and, and be part of the solution, is a lot of us get asked to the table um, and not in this format, of course, but it, uh, we get asked to the table to educate, to plan, to uh, help sess out needs, uh, to help do evaluate what's already sort of in place and so forth. But we're asked to do it for free. Can you show up? Can you be here at this time and and help us help our group understand um, where maybe two-thirds of those people are being paid to be there. And it hasn't even crossed the minds or maybe even entered it into the field of view or consideration that, hey, maybe we ought to be paying this person to come in and do this for us because they're the expert on their own experience. And some folks actually hold degrees and have focus in their education in these areas and they got student loans to pay back and so this is part of their career path and folks need i think need to be more mindful of of that and you've had that experience loads i mean i can't tell you how many times i've shown up to the table ready to do the work and knowing that it needs to happen and accepting the fact that there are other people there who are getting paid and i'm there to educate them and Maybe maybe there's some bottled water there, right? Or maybe there's this there's some treats, kind of a thing. But I don't do this for dinner, you know. Is this isn't like a, a I'm not showing up to perform. I'm sh I show up to educate and and take part of and inform and um, and that's not to say. Well, I'll put it this way: I was sitting in a cultural humility class which is focused on um, racial bias and how to address these things. And one of my professors asked me what it was that I was trying to get out of the class. And I said, some of it is accreditation for this so I can actually show up to places and say, pay me because I've, I've done the work. I've put in the time. I've, I've got an education in this. I'm credentialed. I, I have that behind me. Is that enough now? for you to begin considering maybe investing, maybe investing in these services. And I think maybe what's on out of that balance or maybe an imbalance is there is a lot of folks know that I'm gonna show up and tell them what they don't wanna hear or what's hard. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask for some sacrifice. I'm gonna look for some other angles in in their narrative to say change. And so who wants to pay for that service? Um, and I'm not saying that they do or they don't, but oftentimes it just sort of washes out of the consideration. And so I think being more considerate in that regard 
of uh, how we're actually getting this information and how we're treating those who we're inviting to the table um, to be that expertise. I think it's okay to, to look to those folks as professionals and to compensate them thusly. So, um, you know, I know some amazing BIPOC leaders in this community who get so little credit. They don't do it for the credit. They do it because it has to be done. I mean, in the conversation that I was having with that journalist downtown, the conversation that we were having was like, well, you know, what do you get out of this? Is this fulfilling for you? I mean, do you feel something from this, some unity? And I'm like, I don't want to be here. I don't think you understand this. This isn't a day in the sun. This isn't a gathering with people. This is protest. I don't want to be here. I, there's so many things I could be doing with my day that I'm out here focusing on this and giving to this. Um, no, it's not, it's not rewarding in that regard. You show up because you need to do it. And it's, it's an act of there's no more options. And so we step out onto the curb and start holding signs and saying Black Lives Matter or in, missing murdered indigenous women. Or we start running some of the numbers on stuff. And we're not out there because we want to be. We're out there because we have to be. And I think that that's something that when I look at some of my colleagues in this, I just sit back and applaud them because not because they they deserve credit or this kind of a thing, but because they show up in in spaces that are very, very hard and traumatizing and triggering and re-traumatizing so that they can do their part to say, you know what, I was there, I showed up. Um, and maybe I had that conversation with the one or two people in the space that needed to hear it. Um, and not because I wanted to be out there, not because I was out there for myself. And I got to be clear about this. If you're out there to make a name for yourself or get some kind of angle out of it, I don't think you're out there for the right reason. But honestly, who, who am I to say that? And I see a lot of people going out there. Some people going out to get selfies. Some people getting out of their car, walking up, holding their sign for 10 minutes, getting back in their car and driving away after a bunch of selfies so they can put them on their Facebook. All right, maybe they, maybe they participated. Maybe they got the word out. Is that right? Is it wrong? I'm not going to sit back and judge it. But I show up because I know what I need to do there. And part of that is to be supportive to those others like myself who show up, who want to participate in the hard lesson. It's not easy getting out of there or getting out there and, and representing in a space that in a community that you don't feel safe to begin with. And rally spaces, protests, is we, we need only look at some of the larger cities and other places around and even up north in places like Whitefish and Kalispell where people are coming out and literally opposing you in your community violently. We, I mean, we had people with guns show up to the one downtown and I credit the people that stuck around that looked at them and said, I'm not afraid of you, even though this is presenting a danger. Uh, and it seems to be intended to, directed to the people participating in, in the rally, 
and those who in those moments culminated together and found strength amongst one another um you know there's far too less i think um attention and celebration of those successes along the way and what happens in a lot of this stuff is people want to place blame on that stuff or you know say it's the fault of the police or it's the fault of you know the the one person at the rally who didn't get rid of them or whatever else that might look like and that's just flat out unfair and i i really applaud the people who showed up and who stuck around and were support systems to each other um and let it be out of control and realize the dangers involved but still showed up um and didn't ask for a special accommodation in a space that can in in the in the blink of an eye can turn from community and song and celebration to a car driving through a group group of people and this is the reality that we face in this world and this is why we do it um and so yeah on some level you're trying to get some support out of it but for the most part that's the last place i want to be yeah and it's dangerous beyond the confrontations that are happening because people aren't masking up and all that sort of stuff yeah, you have, I mean, there are a lot of factors in there. And I mean, if, if you've ever participated in an active shooter training, you, you know that no matter how many, like, de-escalators you get out to, you know, circumvent the crowd and try and bring people down, that doesn't do anything to stop or change the course of somebody who's already made their decision before they arrived. And that's a reality I think that for a lot of people isn't sinking in. Because for me, and this is just me, and I don't wanna I don't wanna cast aspersions on anyone or say that anyone's doing anything wrong, but it just becomes a concern when I see people showing up with kids in strollers. Um, or their two and three year old that's sh- standing there with a the sign. I think ideally, and I think with the best intention, folks are there because they want their kids to see, right? They want them to take part or witness this. But something that I think is somewhat missing from that formula or thinking is that these are dangerous spaces um, as, a, as BIPOC, as an indigenous man. I've been raising my voice for this a good portion of my life. I've been to rallies. I've been doing this for a couple decades now. And, you know, one of the things that I realize is that, and this is historically, this is something I just understand, that the moment I started, like, speaking in my own defense and the defense of fellow BIPOC is that the moment you step up, the moment you put the post on Facebook, the moment you represent for the person standing next to yourself in that capacity you immediately pay a cost and that cost comes in maybe you're targeted maybe this comes down the road maybe the the actions here might result in somebody coming at you in another environment that's just a reality of the setting and there's not anyone in any of those spaces that can change that that can control that can lessen that um 
the idea that you can show up to a rally and one of the I think one of the strongest things you can do is is go live on Facebook at a rally. Some people feel like you're putting people in danger, like, oh, these people are going to know I'm down here doing this. But if you've ever shared a Black Lives Matter post on your Facebook, you're in it. You're out there. You're visible. You're, you're out there for the world, if you will, right, for all to see. And so the danger is already there. Don't expect to go into a rally space or a place where you're protesting and feel like you can be safe because they're just not. Um, I, and I've said this for a long time, is when you look at the history of this country, things that have been taken from indigenous people, the way black people have been treated in the community, the way that we police BIPOC, some folks out there are, going, are willing to go to some really to disenfranchise and take power away from people of color. It's what this country is built on. Hate to say it, and I know that takes away from the Make America Great Again crowd, right? But that's just a reality of this country, and we need to get real about that if we're going to make progress. And so when I look at a rally space, one thing I want to tell people is like, unless you're, unless you're willing to take a bullet unless you're willing to be run over don't go because that's the risk and we got to be real about it and that's not to say that's always going to be the outcome but I work in education I work on campus and so in terms of a, a space like the University Center on campus it's not a matter of if someone's going to come in there and shoot the place up. It's a question of when. You start to think about that in terms of some of the behaviors that have gone on for a couple centuries in the history of this government on these lands. And for me, it's a pretty equal, simple equals mark. If I stand up for my rights, if I make change, if I do anything that upsets the, the boat or rocks the boat, there's a good chance a group of people is going to come out and silence me. Maybe permanently, maybe just a, you know, a good whooping, who knows what, right? But that's, that's what we're looking at. And so when I come out to these things, that's what I'm thinking about. And in the conversation with that journalist, that's what I was trying to make clear was... Um, this is a sacrifice for me. It's a necessary sacrifice. I'm willing to stand in harm's way because I'm already in harm's way. And what's interesting is like there are moments where people feel like, oh, there's a threat all of a sudden. And I think that for a lot of folks, particularly Caucasian community members, that's the first time they've ever felt threatened in those spaces. And it's like, how does it feel? Because that's the lived experience of a lot of BIPOC in the communities. We walk out and we feel and we see and we calculate and we measure. And that's what we think about when we, do, we run the numbers and we think subconsciously about the calculus of, do I go out and participate and tell us something? Do I go to the grocery store? 
do I go to this? In particular, right now with COVID-19, it's very hard being Asian in community um, or looking Asian for, for whatever reason. People are very vocal and violent and aggressive toward people of color. Um, and the, I think the, the biggest challenge of that is how accepting a lot of other people are around to say, well, maybe they were having a bad day or, um, you know, just rise above it. Or, you know, you got to be more than, than don't let these people get you down. And what is not realized is that this, sometimes this is day in, day out. And as opposed to something that maybe hit on a Tuesday two years ago, right? Um, this is the larger reality for a lot of people in the community. And I'm one person. I don't speak for all Native American people. I don't speak for all BIPOC in, in any capacity. And so a lot of this is just my perspective on the issue. And there are, different, there are differing views along the way. And so I think that's another part of this that is challenging to navigate uh, who's, who's going to accept you into their conversation or narrative. Um, and how do we make space for those voices? And I think that's kind of what you're asking, is how do we make, spaces, make space for those voices that really need that space to speak. Um, and so, uh, you know, a big part of it is, is getting folks together and saying, what do you need? Uh, a lot of that is, you know, showing up to the, uh, like showing up to the powwows and showing up to the school, like um, Indian Taco Days where they're raising funds for a high school and so forth and seeking that stuff out and, going and sitting at the All Nations Health Center, Indian Health Center, and saying, how can I be a servant leader in this space? How can I, how can you use your voice in the space that we've created? Um, and tell us, help us learn, help us understand. Um, we've done some of this homework, right? But now we want to invite you into this space um, without the, hey, this is what we want you to do. This is what we want you to show up. This is what we're going to be talking about. This is what your story is going to be. This is what, et cetera, et cetera. And I've not seen you do that, first of all. Um, but which is why I loved that first, really loved that first opportunity and ran with it. Um, but I'd like to hear more. I'd like to hear more, too. And I will say, I have done that. And I'll admit to it, and I cannot remember her name, but she was a native woman, and she pitched a story, but it wasn't hers to tell mm. in the way that a tell us something story is, something that you've personally experienced and you've gone through. Right. And I'm clear about that on the, like, what are the requirements? You know, there's no hate speech, there's no calls to action. Right. And then the story needs to be yours. You have to have been there when it happened. Right. And she wanted to tell her grandfather's story. Uh. And I was like, oh my God, it's such a good story. And it just doesn't meet the definition. Right. And ever since I told her no, I know she was very disappointed. And I was just, I still think about that and think, did I burn a bridge and make people feel unwelcome? Because I'm sure she's told people that she got declined. 
Yeah, there's, I mean, there are challenges along the way. Um, and we all misstep. I mean, we misstep on, on our fellows, right? And they us. And um, I've said this a lot in the social justice work that I do and the advocacy work that I do. And I try and impart this to, to people that, that I really care about um, who themselves are looking for direction and how to be more useful in these spaces. You got to give people a place to land, right? Um, I've worked with white supremacists and because of their learned experience and because of their history and how they participated in that, I very easily could say, nope, you've ruined, you've ruined your chance in this world. You're worthless. You're, you're not worth engaging. You're not even worth placing a hope in. And to be honest with you, as a person of color, I've been the recipient of that kind of response or reaction or engagement with people. And I know what that feels like. And so for me, it's important that if we are to do this work and we are to do it successfully, we really must be making space for other people to misstep, to mess up, to not do it right always, to sometimes slip up in the moment. And I think the, the, the benefit that could come of it is when we look back at ourselves and think, man, how could I, how could I have done that differently? Um, and how do, I, how do I begin repairing that? Um, that's the step in the right direction. Um, and what the response to that is, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who, like, what this person's feelings are and so forth, or if it's even possible. Um, but I think ta having the conversations and, and doing the outreach is part of it. And then also, you know, showing up to some of those things where um, those cultures and practices are celebrated and, and trying to become more of a bigger community. Um, I think that says a lot. Um, but still, I myself have relationships that are strained or broken, uh, fractured um, in ways that might be repaired, whether or not there's participation in that move um, or whether we just kind of go our own way. Um, and... In that regard, you know, we all have a part to play in it. And it's how willing are we going to be to, to create space to land as well as try and seek out that, that landing spot. Um, but who knows what that looks like, honestly. Joseph and I talked for almost two hours, and the conversation followed a similar thread as what you're hearing right now. We veered into discussing how all of these complex layers affect people on a family level. I made the hard choice during the editing process to keep the discussion focused on the community aspect. Um, how do we get in here and build out of something that's already broken? And how do we do it together in a way where you and I find some common ground 
and we find some part of our humanity that isn't all lives matter, right? But it is to say that I acknowledge your pain. Please acknowledge the pain that exists from my experience. Um, and that's part of it. But again, we're it's slow progress. It's not everyone. And um, it's a very... We're, we're, we're right in the middle of the hurt right now in a very modern way that brings us to the knowledge of the old hurt that's been around. Um, and like I say, as long as we're acknowledging those people who have been working on that old hurt to try and reduce the new hurt, I think we're putting credit in the right space. And I think as we're working alongside with those people that we believe are doing the harms and we're, we're, we're willing to give people a space to land, then we have a chance to actually build something and work on something together. And that change is not going to happen overnight. People aren't all of a sudden going to become the people you want them to be. That's the last thing I want to see is someone marching at my rhythm or my tone or my song or anything else. I want to enjoy their beauty and their independence and their uniqueness and so forth and how they've been informed and how they've changed and how they've evolved. That's, that's the story we're celebrating, right? And I think that that's kind of what you celebrate in a, in a really meaningful way that has had like a huge impact on our community. You can't deny that. I mean, your success, I mean, the success of this program has been built out of that need for people to connect to each other and understand each other in a way that we don't always get the chance to, to listen and hear. Um, because maybe somebody's trying to step in and wait for their chance to speak, right? And that's not always us. Sometimes that's the person next to us. So relish these moments, you know, when when we get a chance to hear another perspective and whether we agree with it or not. Um, it informs us about who we are. It makes us question ourselves. And hopefully we're doing a lot more than that and then questioning other people. Because one thing I don't see happening or something that's maybe not happening enough in the social justice work, in addressing uh, food insecurity, and housing insecurity and these types of things is this idea that I'm the one with the right way to do it. You better listen to me or else. And that's when things become really toxic. And that's why I'm asking the questions that I'm asking because I don't know what I'm doing. And I know and I appreciate you saying you know, you're going to misstep. And there needs to be space for that. And it's either don't do anything because you're too afraid to do anything or make some mistakes and learn from those and do it better tomorrow. Right. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I think about somebody recently said, Sisyphus is damned to push the rock up the hill for all of eternity. But the way physics work that rock is going to eventually grind down to a pebble. You would hope. And we forget that yeah. when we're pushing the rock up the hill. 
for sure. There's that monotony. I mean, the myth of Sisyphus is is something that, in my mind, I've, I mean, I've actually, you know, reflected on Sisyphus. You know, this peak in the rock, and you push it up and it falls down, and it's uh, that's what a lot of social justice work feels like. Um, and but it, I don't think it has to be, um, because I think I quantify it in those moments of failure. I think I quantify my my participation in these things in the hard points and the things where I didn't succeed. And one thing I've been talking with a lot of my colleagues about right now is, hey, we need to stop and reflect on the areas where we did have some success and where we have been able to move the dial forward, even if it's only a millimeter, and celebrate that stuff and, and look to capitalize on that momentum and try and do so in a way that we preserve authenticity, that we look to our greater honesty inside, that we do our best not to misrepresent the truth and that we do so in a way that when the next people who come along, any of the stuff that I'm doing doesn't make their work harder. And that's solution. And so we can get on this, this business of finding solutions instead of yelling at each other. We have a chance. But it's going to be ugly and it's going to be hard work. Um, and some, some folks are going to walk away from the conversation. Um, and uh, others are going to come to the table and so forth. I think as long as we're having conversations like the one that you and I are having right now, where you're asking for help, you're asking for guidance, you're asking for input, you're listening I think that's the that's the larger part of it and I think that's where we set our egos aside because there are a lot of big egos out there a lot of people want to be the band leader a lot of folks are running toward that social justice Valhalla that doesn't exist and we tear down the people around us on the way and I think that um, when you're using a balanced measured honest an inclusive approach. And when I say inclusive, I don't just mean to the voices that have been disenfranchised. I also mean to the people who are stakeholders right now. We have to be willing to work together to get toward these solutions. I can stand all day in a city council meeting and tell them that they're white. They know that. <laughs> if I wanna change that, I gotta run for office. I got to get in there and, and, and make that difference and make that change. I got to be willing to get in there and, and, and pay those costs and earn those relationships and work on that networking. And that's not easy. That's long term. That's like down the road kind of stuff. And it doesn't always feel as immediately rewarding as I think folks want it to be. But this problem has been around since the first people landed on these shores and started taking land from the people who inhabited this place and then started saying that they discovered it and so forth and these differences immediately coming to, to bear upon each other right to where we are now and for us to think that we're going to solve it 
in a couple city council meetings or because we raise our voice in a certain way or we attack one group or the other is self-defeating and it's not realistic. And yes, there's change that we can make with some immediacy, but then there's a lot of it that just takes time. And what it takes time in regards to is that getting out and meeting each other. And I was out at Standing Rock, North Dakota. I took, not just me, but I was given the opportunity through the University of Montana to load up vans. They, they supplied us with vehicles, the university. Uh, they paid for gas and, and some other costs. They also made space in parts of the university for us to collect donations. We collected medicines, sweetgrass, tobacco, sage, and other things to take out to the elder council there at Osseti Sakuin. And the people who went out with us were largely non-native. They were, some were BIPOC, others were white. And we worked on that cultural humility component of like, why are you even going? Are you going because you want to prescribe? Are you going because you want to learn or you want to avail your abilities? And what it requires is you walking through the door and saying, I'm willing. And when we came back from that and I met with that elder council, the message I got was very simple. I asked, what do I bring back to my community? What wisdom do you have for me that I can take back because I'm here to learn? One person spoke up and she said to me very simply, and I, I, I use this model moving forward. I rely on this model moving forward. She said, serve food, get your kids playing together, play some music and talk with your community. That's the solution, Joseph. That's all you need to do. She said, put the political messaging on the back. Don't show up with the speakers and that other stuff because what you need is people there engaging about these issues and having those conversations amongst them instead of having someone always out front telling people how to think or how to be. And that's how you end this thing. Um, and is that the only solution? No, I think there's other activism that ties into it. But at least when I walked away from that conversation, I felt that I had a mission statement. I felt that I had a bigger part of my own personal mission statement that allowed me that when I was to do this work and people were to ask that question, that that was to be my response. And so it has been. And I think some people utilize it. I think some people utilize it. And it's one that I certainly try and capitalize on as well. Um, because the benefit isn't for me, it's for the people around me. And if I'm thinking about the next generation and the generation after that, and how this kind of activity is going to supplant some kind of peace in the future, I'm all in. Thanks for listening today, and a huge thanks to Joseph Grady for spending the time with us, sharing his experience, and getting real. If you found our conversation valuable and would like to compound the monetary gift I gave him, his PayPal is J-O-E-Y-G, the number 4, M-E, at gmail.com.
Again, his PayPal is joeyg4me at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to the Tell Something podcast. Check in next week when Joseph and I will visit more in depth about Joseph's story, about life-changing moments, and his experience sharing his story. Thanks again to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store. Learn more at goodfoodstore.com. Thanks to our enduring sponsors, cabinetparts.com, the number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997, providing the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price and knowledgeable hardware specialists. Cabinetparts.com is the direct source for all of your cabinet hardware needs. Blackfoot Communications. Since 1954, Blackfoot Communications have fostered a reputation based on exceptional customer service and community involvement. They deliver superior technology solutions through trusted relationships and enrich the lives of their customers, owners, and employees. Learn more at blackfoot.com. Thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula. Offering weekly meal delivery to nourish your family and friends, have a look at the menu and order online at truefoodcsa.com. Thanks to Cash for Junkers, who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at cashfordrunkersband.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Missoula Bone & Joint, providing superior clinical orthopedic care to their patients for over 60 years. MissoulaBoneAndJoint.com. Access Physical Therapy, an enthusiastic team dedicated to providing compassionate and comprehensive care to their clients. Learn more at accessmissoula.com. Thank you to our in-kind sponsors. The Top Hat Lounge, reopening responsibly. Reconnecting with our community in the new normal. Top Hat Restaurant and Bar is open with limited capacity in-house dining and takeout. For a menu and to learn more, visit logjampresents.com and click Restaurant. Missoula Broadcasting Company, learn more at missoulabroadcasting.com. Enlightened Lab Float Center, learn more at enlightenlab.com. That's E-N-L-Y-T-E-N-L-A-B.com. Inertia Physiotherapy, move better, feel better, stay in motion with Inertia Physiotherapy, inertiaphysiomt.com, geckodesigns.com, missoulaevents.net, podcast production by me, Mark Moss. To learn more about Tell Us Something, please visit tellussomething.org. Stay safe, wear a mask, take care of yourself, and take care of each other.